welcome to another episode of Millennial in the Middle. I'm Connor DeLynn. Thanks for listening. We've got a good one for you today. A couple episodes ago, I shared my experience and kind of the story or background behind this startup I'm a part of now. Uh, Opt was launched in February, and uh, it's been pretty cool to see how much we've done in just this short amount of time, and our product is about ready to be launched to the public in just a couple weeks. Today, I'm going to introduce you to my partner in this endeavor from the beginning, a gentleman by the name of Jason Peterson. And, uh, you know, just a quick side note here. It's cool for me because sometimes I do these podcast episodes and the interview that you hear is literally my first time talking to this individual, right? And then there's other guests that I've had on the show that I have spent a lot of time with that have played an integral part in my life that I view as a mentor, a guide, a coach. And that is definitely what Jason has become to me over the last six months that I've known him now. And I honestly feel like I have been getting my business degree, just like an MBA fully accelerated and kind of being able to have like this hands-on tutor walking through every step of the way. And I have learned so much from Jason. He's one of the most genuine individuals I know and motivated to help people find the best in themselves and find their best potential, whether that's people or companies or organizations. That's what he spent his career doing. And so today, I'm sure we're going to have Jason back on to talk about, you know, Opt and all the things we have going on there. But I want to share the story of Jason's life before Opt, kind of what got him to this point and what his background was in the first place. To give you just a little bit of a feel, he uh, he personally has started seven companies, uh, everything from software companies, real estate firms, business services, consumer goods, uh, sold several of them for, you know, tens of millions of dollars, has personally acquired six bankrupt businesses as well. So that's been another side of what he's done, that he would buy these bankrupt businesses and actually with all six of these, he got all of them turned around in less than six months. And uh, one of these bankrupt businesses is now one of like Inc. 5000 largest companies in America. It's pretty cool to see what he's done along with being a part of partial founder and consultant for many other startups that have grown in the, you know, 50 plus million range. And uh, what's cool about him is while he is extremely accomplished and has quite the resume and all these notches under his belt, you would never know that from just talking to him. He's so humble, he's so sincere, and he's a good guy that's figured out how to be really busy and productive in his professional career, but also find what matters most. Uh, He's been married 23 years, he's a dad to three kids, and he's done some really unique and interesting things. Like he took off with his family for a six month RV trip, just like taking off, let's go. He lived with his family on the beach in Hawaii for two years, cause why not? And has traveled all over the world. He's taking pilot lessons, he's learning Spanish. Like in other words, he's figured out how to make business work for him so he can enjoy life and have those experiences as opposed to, you know, the businesses running his life and controlling him. So today I want you to look for some of the observations that he has had in going into these businesses and turning them around in what he's learned of how to listen and communicate with people and how to bring the best out of them and truly help them find their passion and just helping people achieve what they see that what they might not even see is their potential but it sometimes takes someone from the outside to come in and say uh, there's some genius in there let's find it so i won't give any more of an introduction here i'm uh, so glad to have jason on i really hope you learn a thing or two from this episode this won't be the last you hear her hear from him so this is jason peterson talking everything pre our relationship and opt enjoy Jason Peterson, man, we've talked about this for a while. It is so cool to have you in the studio, and I'm excited for this. Thank you for being willing. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here. You know, I, I like I said in the introduction, I've learned so much from you over the last few months. I'm so excited to share it with my listeners because I think there's some simple concepts here that hopefully get pulled out that people can actually go apply 
And it's not just hope or motivation, but actually some practical tools to do that. And I know that's your skill, so I think we can pull that off today. I hope so. <laughs> if not, we can always delete the podcast, right? That's right. But luckily, we can edit, although I don't do much of it on the show, as you know. Now, here's where I want to start. Okay. I know you've made some big moves in your life that some might call crazy or risky or like that guy's out of his mind. And... You've had a lot of them that have really worked, right? But <laughs> yeah. I want to know, like, how did that start in you of having this mindset of kind of wanting a little bit more and making some big moves? Yeah. Uh, so the answer to that question probably has to start before I was born, <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, so, you mean go back generations? Well, <laughs> I love actually, it. Actually, yeah. Here's, here's the spot. Um, so here's the thing. My, my mom, was uh, she was born into a military family. Okay. Um, so I didn't have anywhere close to the traditional, what you might call a traditional upbringing. Yeah. So my mom was born into a military family, very you know, rigid. My grandpa fought in the Korean War and everything. Um, and then she was abused in just about every way when she was a kid. And then her mother committed suicide right in front of her when she was 14. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And so she ran away and lived on the streets for a little while. Um, and the, the the quick version of that is, is that that taught her that first off that uh, she chose to leave that environment she decided this is this is not working for me. Yeah. And so she left. Well, that of course then passes on to where for me growing up, um, it wasn't about obedience. <laughs> it was yeah. about okay, decide big things that you want to do. And we were pretty poor. My dad ran a printing press, you know, in yeah. Shelley, Idaho. <laughs> okay, a little teeny town. That's welcome to Shelley on both sides of the welcome sign. <laughs> um, and so the the rule that we had growing up that was basically choose something you want to pursue, you know, but don't waste it. <laughs> it was yeah. a, so my mom was very supportive. She had made a choice to leave an environment and she, it was hard on her. Like she was uh, living on the streets is not easy. And she was a tough, Yeah, <laughs> she had to be pretty tough. Man, that, that's so interesting. And, and I love that that's where the story starts. You know, I, often people ask me why I care about history and why yeah. I talk about generations so much, but it's our history. It's what made us the person that we are today and why we think the way we think, what we do. And it's so cool that your answer to that went before you were born and how that then affected you. My question would be how open was your mom with that about you? Or was it something that you didn't know until you were older? Uh, I don't think I fully realized it until I was older. Yeah. Um, but there was an openness around, uh, like, uh, just as an example, uh, when I was 15, I decided, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine whose brother had gone over and picked pineapple in Hawaii. Okay. And I heard Hawaii. That's all I heard. I didn't hear picking pineapple worker. And I said, Hawaii, how cool is that? Yeah. So this was a, a, a traditional pattern for me. I went to my mom and I said, hey, I think it might be cool to go pick pineapple in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, in my family, that meant, okay, you've, you, you think you're going to do something. It's not just talk about it. And so yeah. uh, not too much longer. I mean, that's, she said, okay, I, I'm willing to support this. So the openness was, I'm willing to support this. I want to get behind you. Yeah. Uh, but are you serious about it? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think so. And so she went and, you know, did some research and found, and then, you know, a couple months later, I was in Hawaii. I spent almost a year there by myself, or like nobody else in my family. I was the youngest one there picking pineapple. <laughs> sure. In Hawaii. They take that and re replicate it over and over again. It was, you know, okay, you, you have a choice. You're going to choose what you want to do. Yeah. Um, but don't squander it. Like, yeah. we don't have the money to just let you, you know, dink around. So choose and do. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's really interesting to see this. Like, your parents were empowering. Even yeah. though, you know, they had a rough bringing and they didn't have it all. And like you said, that you grew up poor, like they still instilled in you a belief and a freedom to be able to go, go for it and yeah. do it. Yeah. And I know like in the business sense, you made your first big move really early. Like you kind of yeah. rewrote the playbook. Talk to me through that. Yeah. Yeah. So because I wasn't, I, I was taught not to be afraid, Yeah. I guess, of trying things. Um, as I was uh, going through my undergrad, um, uh, so I did a, a degree in uh, computer information systems. Okay. Uh, and I, I have raging ADHD, so it was a real challenge working yeah. my way through, but that, that's another story. Uh, but as I was going through that, um, my dad got laid off from his job. Like I said, he just he ran a printing press, and mm -hmm. so he got laid off, and we were having a discussion one day, like two months before I graduated, and we were talking, he said, son, don't. Don't make the same mistake I did. Don't just go get a job somewhere. Like, find a way to get into business or do something that 
yeah. you can control the, or own the fate. Well, thanks, Dad. You could have told me that four years ago. <laughs> but, uh, so the long and short of it is my wife and I had saved up some money to buy a house when we got back from college, and I talked her into letting me buy a business. And wow. About $30,000 is what we'd saved. And I, so you can't buy much business with 30000 <laughs> So what'd you so, buy? Yeah, so the bottom line is I started searching around and looking for it, and I found this just dumpster fire, almost bankrupt cabinet business in Linden, Utah. Yeah. That, um, I didn't know anything about cabinets uh, or anything, but it was the one I could afford. <laughs> so yeah. Because I had been taught that uh, to kind of follow, you know, uh, the the instinct and the flow of things. I okay, let's do it. So I went in and I paid seventeen thousand uh, dollars and bought this just on fire business. Wow. And what what motivated you to buy a business as opposed to starting your own? Like you could have just started your own cabinet company, but why'd you buy theirs? Um, it was faster. Sure. <laughs> it seemed quicker. Yeah. Like it seemed like something that. Um, I, I found that I'm. I'm, I'm better at looking at processes or things like now, later years, I, I'm, I'm good at looking at things that exist and figuring out how to make them persist. Yeah. Right. How to make them grow. Things that last. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that I chose kind of like information systems and I did a degree in economics and I think I chose those because I wanted to figure out how to automate things. And so I think I was looking for a bankrupt business because it was one that I could afford, but it was also something I thought I'd I can fix stuff. Like I can figure out processes and fix them, and so I, I, I gravitated to that. Uh, bought it in right after September 11th. Actually. Oh wow! Okay. And so bought it at a tough time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it's cool to see, especially on the show, and as we talk to different people, like different personality types, right? Because you were actually excited about the challenge of taking something that was broken, looking yeah. first at. Why is it broken? What's not working? And then, you know, not only being able to go in and point out the problems, but say, here's maybe what we should do and here's the fix. Now, I know you've said you're good at this, but it wasn't all roses and, you know, like no. you still run into some major bumps along the road. Explain maybe like what those bumps looked like or some early bumps and how you responded to that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I told myself going in, I thought if I, if I buy enough time, I'll figure this out. I don't. I don't know how to do accounting. I don't know cabinets at all. I don't know yeah. any of this stuff. Um, but as long as I don't have to deal with any of three things, I, I made a little list for myself. I was okay. As long as I don't have to deal with three things, okay, I should be okay. And so the first one was I didn't want to deal with a major injury like cabinets, big yeah. machines and everything. And I'm I'm petrified of <laughs> giant machines. You yeah. know, like. I've got a little uh, sonic toothbrush, and it scares me. Isn't it? But <laughs> you, you may not want to admit that on a podcast. The guy that's scared by his toothbrush yeah, brought to you live here today. I probably should have yeah. thought about that. <laughs> I love it. So number one, you don't want so a major I, injury. Major injury. I didn't want to have to deal with a major machine breakdown. And okay. I, and I didn't want to have to deal with a lawsuit. I thought as long as they're not. So like all the um, worst case scenarios. Yeah. We're fine as long as these don't happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, you know, I put seventeen thousand down. I had thirteen thousand like of working capital. And, yeah. Uh, this business had like. If I remember, like six hundred thousand dollars worth of debt, and wow. And so, anyways, the, the the Reader's Digest version is is that within the first couple of days, my foreman comes in and he's got this what looks like a raccoon pelt or something, and he's like, "Yeah, the big sander just ate itself." And so, our most one of our most critical machines just died; was was completely gone. Oh. And so I'm thinking, okay, that's a strike quarter, one, yeah, quarter of a million dollar machine, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, within the next couple of days, I found out that the company was being sued twice by customers that and you didn't know. Been, I had no idea. So I bought myself into two lawsuits that I had to go settle. Oh. And then before I got to the end of my third week, I was sitting in the office, you know, working on, and I hear this just scream out of the um, the production area, the shop there. I go running out, and the assistant foreman had rigged up the edge bender and stuck his hand in to try to fix it, and the blades came down on him and almost cut his thumb uh, all the way off. So I'm rushing him off wow. to the emergency room. I'm the youngest guy in the business. I yeah. was like, you know, 20, <laughs> oh my. 22. And so I'm rushing him off to the ER, and I'm just sitting there thinking, what have I done? <laughs> what am yeah. I doing here? This is crazy. 
you know, how would you describe your emotions in that, right? Of all of a sudden, like, what am I doing? But to you're 22 years old, you kind of say, ah, oh, you make this huge gamble. I'm sure you're, you're like having to tell your wife why, why we need to believe and make this happen and you're going to go do it. And then all of those things were out of your control, yeah. right? And that's what's hard. Like, we can control the controllables, but those things that don't go our way, that yeah, there's nothing we could have done. I think that's what stops a lot of people from making big moves is that the fear of yeah. the unexpected, right? And so you quit after that and never did anything again, right? That's right. That's <laughs> right. I went and sacked groceries, and that's why we're talking here. <laughs> no. So how'd you respond? You know, it's kind of a defense mechanism, perhaps. I, yeah. I, I told myself as I was sitting there, I thought, okay, well, um, let's get the tough stuff out of the way first. I'm still alive. We're still here, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, so, okay, the, the silver lining, whether it's a lie to yourself or not, the silver lining is, all right, we, I've dealt with these hard things, and it wasn't as bad as I thought, right? And yeah. I, I saw that, you know, again, in my youth. Over and over again, I would try things and fail at a lot of them, yeah. right? Um, but it wasn't as bad as you think it is, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so those were hard. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't like, oh, I've got a magic wand in my back pocket. I'll just wave that now. Yeah. They, they were hard to deal with. But it wasn't as like show-stopping and life-ending as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And so I actually found that to be kind of empowering. Is is that okay? I can deal with the three things. These things I didn't want to deal with. Yeah. We can deal with them. And um, you know, the, the fast-forward story here is is that um, we worked our way through those, figured out a way to get the machines fixed. Uh, the foreman was out for a while and ended up recovering fully. But uh, and then. Uh, Grew it really rapidly, got it out of debt within about six months. Had it out of debt all the way, uh, didn't bring in any capital, um, and then got an offer on it, sold it for almost a million dollars 15 months later. Wow, 15 months. Yeah, yeah, we were shipping cabinets into Hawaii and Arizona and all over the West and custom cabinets. Huh. Um, And so it actually, I think it was good for me to, at that age, and since I was young enough, I thought, Okay, if it fails, I can always go put on a vest and greet people at Walmart. I can do, yeah. I can do something else. I'm young enough that it's not. Um, but I may as well take my lumps now. Right? Yeah. And so, I think it was one of the best things that ever happened was to deal with it. It's really cool. Yeah. Two things I want to talk about in response to that. The first, I mean, just pointing out that life lesson there of going through a hard thing and realizing I can go through hard things. And I made it on the other end and it's okay. And all of a sudden the things that looked really scary, those worst case scenarios, like, oh, of course this couldn't work if this happens. All three of those happen, but you still made it work, right? And all of a sudden I can see that the boogeyman necessarily wasn't there as much anymore, (laughs) right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, There's one note that I want to, it was actually really fortunate for me. Like it wasn't me that made it work. Yeah. Right. Um, I found it to be another kind of incidental uh, blessing is, is that I knew nothing about cabinets, nothing. Hmm. <laughs> and I didn't know how to run, um, you know, QuickBooks or do accounting. I hadn't taken courses for that or whatever. And so the reason I say that is I had to rely upon the people that were already in that business, right? Like I, yeah. I bought it and the the previous owner stayed on as an employee yeah. with me, right? It was actually a blessing that I knew nothing about the cabinets or process because it kind of compelled me to go ask them questions like, how does this work? How do you mm. do it? What, uh, you know, and what are the problems? What don't you like? And so I didn't have the answers and I knew I didn't. And that ended up being really, really beneficial to me yeah. is, because it taught me how to figure out how to get the, the, the juice out of the people who do know. And sure. then that translated into, I've now done almost a dozen bankrupt businesses that I've acquired and turned around. Yeah. Um, very similar stories. In every case, the, it's not me. Like, it's I didn't do the smart stuff. <laughs> or the yeah. Intelligent. It was the people that, it was pulling it out of the people that were already there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can attest to that in the few months that I've worked with you now, and we've spent a long time <laughs> in front of a whiteboard trying to solve problems. Like, listening is so crucial to that. You're such an amazing listener. But then helping people almost come to those conclusions, I think, on their own that they wouldn't have found otherwise. How have you seen the importance of listening to people and then empowering them come to play in your career? Yeah, I, 
I think it's everything. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I guess I shouldn't say everything. I mean, you have breathe and drink yeah. water and stuff, but um, it's absolutely critical, especially in uh, as the economy has shifted and the workforce's mentality has shifted. Yeah. Um, the days of just do as you're told and march to the drum, I, I don't, I haven't found that to be, um, I don't think that's going to persist. I think yeah. that learning how to listen to people, and I kind of have this over the years, so I've, uh, I've done a number of things uh, that, where I've worked with people who they had what I call quirky genius. <laughs> like they were geniuses. They had It's more than just listening. It's asking questions until they can become clear in their mind about what needs to be done. Right? Sure. And so it, it's not just listening, but pulling out, okay, what, um, what do you think are the critical things that you feel passionate about? <laughs> yeah. Right? And that I, I had no choice to do that in that first the cabinet business. I had to listen. I had to ask questions. And it was really good to say, well, so show me where this wood goes. Like, it was that basic. Like, okay, this, oh, that's a saw? Oh, that round thing with sharp, like, okay, that's a saw. All right, well, so does, where does, which side does the wood go in? And they would laugh. Oh, <laughs> boy. I remember one time they sent me down to buy a tape measure. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, well, tape measure, tape measure. So I go down to Home Depot. And I just got the cheapest little tape. I come back and they were laughing at me. They're like, oh my gosh, this guy knows nothing. <laughs> Every time, they never sent me to buy stuff. But I, I had to you know, ask them, you know, tell me what you're trying to accomplish here. Like, yeah. What's the end? How are you doing it now? Yeah. And the most powerful question I found a lot of times is, and tell me why you're doing it that way. Like what's, and a lot of times that gives people the ability to step back and say, okay, um, why am I doing it that way? <laughs> Sure. What what a novel concept. I right. would have never thought to ask myself that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think being, understanding that the genius is not in the leadership. The genius is not in the, the owner or whatever. The genius is in the people who know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right. And if you're the only one who knows what you're doing, you, you'll never build or grow anything beyond the height of your own head. Yeah. Ah, man, I love that. So many good nuggets to pull away from that. I mean, just that. That whole concept of helping people get there really on their own, right? But feeling a part of that team. And maybe that is kind of in your secret sauce of going into a business that you didn't feel like you were the expert in, that yeah. you had all the answers and now you were there just, you know, one way conversations telling them what they needed to fix, that it truly became a team effort almost immediately from what it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And it was to my advantage that I didn't know what I was doing and they knew that I didn't know. And so it wasn't weird for me to be in there saying, well, how does this work? Yeah. You know, so, so how did you not become insecure about that? Right? Like that's gotta be a little weird Like you're going in telling people and you're young. I've dealt with that managing yeah. people that are older than you and more experienced and they know what they're talking about in essence and you don't. So how did you not like, how did you still stay confident? I guess. Yeah. Um, I, I was insecure. I'm yeah. still insecure. Sure. <laughs> right? Um, I don't think that ever goes away. I yeah. think you're, no matter what you accomplish. I used to think that you could, you know, you sell a, a business for a, you know, multiple tens of millions of dollars or do something huge uh, and that insecurity would go away. It doesn't. It never mm -hmm. goes away. And um, I think it's, uh, it's more co like dealing with it. Like, okay, I'm insecure and I got to do stuff anyways. Right? Yeah. But also understanding, okay, so is everybody else. Yeah. Right. These people are insecure. Uh, and so part of my job, I always felt like was it helped them to be less insecure. Right. I know yeah. that I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I don't know anything about any of the businesses that, you know, like, yeah. uh, but, um, that doesn't go away. At least it hasn't for me. Maybe there are people out there who that's a different story, but for yeah. me, that insecurity still exists. Huh? Well, one, like, thank you for being real to say that. Cause I think for people listening, it's comforting to hear that successful people that have had wins, like I can say that looking at you, right? That they still feel that way. And I think sometimes we look at fear, insecurity, or doubt as a weakness, but understanding, hey, no, that doesn't go away. You never necessarily get to a point where you feel like you've made it. Yeah. So how do you, in the present moment, with all the experience, expertise, or whatever you have right now, how do you make that enough and how do you make it work and so man i really appreciate you being real about that yeah yeah i, I just think um the, the, there's also an element that people appreciate realness yeah like I, I used to work um when i was um 
just graduated high school, I worked for a pet store. It was on the way far end of Idaho Falls, yeah. which is just slightly larger than Shelly, <laughs> <Okay. laughs> right? So there were three cows instead of two. Yeah. But, um, and I remember we, I went in, and it was clear away. I mean, it was a long drive, and yet it was just a powerhouse um, pet store. Yeah. Uh, Peaches Pets. And I went in, and the first day the manager came in, and he says, all right, I'm going to teach you the three most powerful words of working here. And if you don't learn these, then you're not going to be a fit. Mm-hmm. So those words are, I don't know. Yeah, I love it. But I know how to find out, <laughs> right? Mm. And so the culture there was just brutal honesty. And then he did something else. Like he, he had us, instead of him being the oracle that we went to, Every day, uh, we would do a quick little stand-up where he would say, I'm going to assign one of the products in the pet store here. I'm going to ask each of the employees. All of us were like high school kids or you know, young, mm-hmm. um, and yet this place had pet experts because he would have us fake a customer. Like one of us would say, I'm a customer, I have a dog, blah, blah, blah. And then the other one would have to give an answer. And it was either something they'd researched or an I don't know, and then we would answer it together. Hmm. So he just built this little culture of honesty, and people drove past 10 other lighting, or, um pet stores yeah to find real answers yeah and so i think uh people who know everything other people know they don't know everything yeah right? and so if you're real about it and you're you say, i don't know or i'm sorry you know yeah um that tells me at least you're not going to lie to them and they can trust you so that in and of itself reduces other people's insecurity yeah Oh, I, I love that I don't know concept and being willing to do that, how just immediately that disarms people to where we feel like we're together. And, you know, 80 plus episodes, however many it's been on this show, we've talked about having good conversations, right? And developing empathy and connecting in a real way with people. And what I love is like you've been in this really interesting situation of going into current workforces that whatever is happening isn't working but doing that in a way where you win them over and become a part of their team and get the most out of them like what at the end of the day it has to be an incredible communicator that practices these skills to make that happen and so I I love that thought so in these tough conversations that you've had I'm sure you got different types of personalities right I'm sure some handled that better than others and some were a little more welcoming to the young new guy that was gonna fix all our problems and some probably put up some walls am I right in that assumption and how did you deal with it absolutely absolutely yeah like and I'm glad to use the word tough conversations because some of them um, there's two variants of tough, right? There's embarrassing, which is the, mm. I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing here. And so I need you to tell me, which, uh, you know, a lot of leaders feel like that they have to have all the answers. And so it starts out when I say tough, like sometimes it, it can be humbling to just admit, I, I need to ask you for your feedback. But there's also tough conversations where people just aren't a fit, right? And even in, you know, I don't want to make it sound like these, like the cabinet shop or other businesses. Yeah. Uh, were just all roses. There were some people who just didn't quite fit the yeah. culture. Here's what's um, here's what I found, right? And that is, what used to be the people who didn't fit were the ones who you know weren't reliable and wouldn't do what they're told and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I actually found is is that 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 group, the ones that were really good at just doing as they were told and showing up and mm-hmm. punching the clock, those were actually the ones that didn't fit, right? Really? Yeah. It was the ones that were that thought a little differently. Uh, you know, the, the the economy has changed. Like the reason this cabinet shop I bought it had been in business for decades. Yeah. But I think things started to shift, right? And so uh, creativity and problem solving all of a sudden started to become more important than just doing as you're told. Hmm. So some of the hard conversations were, as I would talk with people in in you know these bankrupts or startups. I've done a number yeah. of startups. What I found is is that the ones that are the best fit are uh, what I call quirky genius. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they they're not they're actually not prone to just taking orders. They, sure. they they like to solve problems. They like to think about things outside of just a little job that they sit in. Yeah. And so the ones that I ended up having to kind of have the hard conversations and invite them to exit were the ones that just wanted to be told what to do. And in my case again, it was because I didn't know what to do. I just I bought a, yeah. a business that I didn't know the industry. I didn't know anything about it. 
And so there was not a lot of value, and, the, and it, was, it was bankrupt. It was losing money. It generated more debt than profit it combined for the last 10 years, right? Wow. It was losing money like crazy. Stuff had to change. And so it was the ones that rose to the top. And often they were younger people. Like yeah. I had somebody that had just graduated high school, um, rapidly raised him up to the foreman because he was a problem solver. Yeah. And he wasn't afraid of you know, honesty and realness. And that wasn't just that business. What I found now is every single one of the businesses I've built it out of necessity, I've built it around kind of this quirky genius. And yeah. I've, I've even gotten to where I start to look for it. So mm. the quirky, you know, the... They're questioning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they question things. They want to know why. They want to understand. Um, and if you don't like that, they're quitting. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they leave. Yeah. Right? Um, they're unbridled. Right? So they, 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 they don't want to just be told, here's your box, sit in it. Yeah. Right? Um, they're inquisitive and intelligent. Like, they're, the people... Like everybody wants to kind of bag on younger generations and, and millennials and stuff sure. like that, and you know they're lazy and they're uh, no, <laughs> they're not. Yeah, um, they're 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 intelligent enough. They're looking around and they're seeing that the systems that used to work for our grandparents and our parents and stuff they're not working. <laughs> and they, yeah, so they're inquisitive. Uh, they're radical. The ones that I really did well with and built businesses out of, they don't think little. Like they think. They understand yeah. little things build up to big stuff, yeah. but their vision doesn't end at the end of the day. Like they're wow. radical. Hmm. I and, love that. I just want to like take notes on all those things because what a great thing to aspire to be. Right. Well, and if you think it, that, that, that's you know, you know, quirky, you know, questioning, unbridled, intelligent, inquisitive, you know, the radical, uh, they're kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, they're a little, I think that... Um, there's a lot more ADHD. We live in an ADHD world now, mm-hmm. right? So they they can appear to be disorganized, sure, or um, you know uncertain. But a lot of times, it's just if you're willing to ask enough questions and probe in, then they'll find clarity and they have brilliant answers. And that's mm-hmm. the the why and quirky. They're yearner. They're yearning. Like they yeah. they want something. They want more yeah. than not to just not die, right? Yeah. So. You know, I like you tying that into, you said you dealt with that with younger people. And, you know, of course, I talk about generational differences and I love that. And you know that I talk about that all the time. So I see you feeling that. But I dig a little further on that. Like, do you think it's just the fact that when we are young, uh, we think big and we are more creative and we're not as held back. And then as we get older, we get into a routine. Or do you think it's a change in perspectives in the way society and culture has moved forward to now create generations of people that actually think differently yeah thoughts on that it it probably uh, i don't have any you know like data yeah sure so yeah but if i were to speculate and look out there and say here's what i've seen yeah it probably is a higher percentage that are young or more youthful yeah and i don't know that it's the youngness per se that necessarily is driving that yeah i've had a number of employees who uh, were a little bit older that had that same mentality yeah right it's more of a mentality what i think might be driving it is the internet information yeah. like all of a sudden in one generation um we went from where the encyclopedia was where you got all your information <laughs> yep uh to where you have information uh, you know, at, your, at your fingertips now that is you know, millions of times more accessible and more searchable than what anybody's ever had. Yeah. And so I think two things have started to happen. Number one, people have enough information to look out and say, wait a minute, the way that I've been told to do it, which is kind of that, you know, just do as you're told, you know, obey, delay, and you don't have a say. (laughs) I haven't heard that. That's great. Like, just do as you're told and you don't have a choice. I think they were looking around. They've now the internet has opened the windows to life, and they're looking around and they're seeing that 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 didn't work. Like yeah, your parents and grandparents. Some some people you know, like I, the the degree in economics. That over forty three percent of people uh, that are over fifty by the time I'm fifty are projected to be living below the poverty line, right? Mm. And so economically, I think. Mostly young people because they're because of their youth, but that, it's more of a psycho like a psychology. Yeah, and they're looking out saying the old way, the just follow the recipe that didn't work. Yeah, I want something else. I want something bigger, something more meaningful. I want relationships that are richer 
and experiences yeah. and I'm, and meaning. Just a more fulfilled life. Yeah. Yeah. I have found that, you know, the millennials and the people, they're some of the most charitable. Like everybody wants to say they're, you know, lazy and, um, you know, unmoral or whatever else. Yeah. I found exactly the opposite. Hmm. Exactly the opposite. Well, good, because that's what I've been telling people for two years now. So thanks. That's the only reason I brought him in here. End of interview. We're good. There we go. We're done. (laughs) That's awesome. I I love those differences of, you know, just talking about how the way we're raised and the way we're brought up and technology has such a huge part in that now. And now we're seeing the results of that. We're seeing people enter the workforce that were raised with an iPad in hand. And of course they think differently. Of course they act differently. Of course we communicate differently. And, you know, our goal now is to figure out, one, to understand it, look back and try and see what's happening and not only adapt to it, but to actually like thrive and do well and do something because of that. And so I love this conversation. I want to switch gears a little bit now. You know, you've definitely been very humble talking about going in saying, hey, I don't know. I trust your expertise. But in doing this multiple times. As an observant person, obviously you've learned a lot along the way and you've seen patterns and you've seen systems and things that have fallen into place. And I want to get into that now. And I know that you've got a concept you're pitching all the time, which I think might be on bookshelves here soon. I may, I don't want to be the one to uh, do that, but you might just see this about flow, this concept of flow. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Th- thanks for asking that question. Yeah. Comple- completely unscripted. <laughs> no, like I, uh, so um, because I have such you know intense ADHD, I, I had to learn how to get things done without um, you know churning and concentrating and paying attention. And so over the years, I kind of developed this acronym to just remind myself of the way to go about it. Right. Mm-hmm. So. So flow, it, it comes from the, the, the just being real, the, the book title that's, that's coming out, The First Law of Winning, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, flow. Flow, First and Law of Winning. First All Law right. of Winning, which is a playoff of Isaac Newton's The First Law of Motion. Okay. Which is essentially that an object in motion uh, will, tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by a force. And a force is just mm-hmm. energy, right? So you can either you know, you'll compound and add energy and grab a hold of things that are already flowing, right? Or you can fight against it. Um, and what I've had to learn, uh, because I couldn't pay attention to things, if I wanted anything to persist, I had to learn how to look for flows, look for things that are already happen naturally. Yeah. Um, and then tap into that. Right. Mm. And so just a couple of examples, uh, like I, I had an employee, uh, in a software company that I started up, uh, he came to me and they'd hired him as a, uh, appointment setter. He was terrible at it. <laughs> so they were getting ready to let him go. Yeah. Right. To be honest with you. And, and I said, um, well, before you do that, let me talk with him. Right. Um, and just see, and I had a very similar conversation that I've had a thousand times over the years where I brought him in, uh, this guy by the name of Jason, by the way. So he, he must not be too smart, <laughs> but he, I brought him in. I asked him, uh, you know, what seems to be the challenge or whatever. And he essentially was honest enough to tell me, this is not interesting to me. So, okay, well, what are you interested in? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. Well, graphics design, I got to do graphics. Okay. Well, what have you worked on? What have you done? He didn't know much. He didn't have much. He showed me a couple of drawings and, and, and they were okay. <laughs> yeah. They weren't great. But I, right away I could sense in him, there was a passion for that. Yeah. Like that was natural. I didn't have to, I didn't have to create it or hold him accountable for it. Sure. That's so why I said, okay, well, let's give it a try. And I paid for a few courses and everything. He just, he just, thri- he just took off. Really? What Ended a cool up, boss, first I off. Eventually paid for him to get an entire bachelor's degree and even a master's degree. The company paid him. And he rocks it. He hmm. kills it, right? So that was just a, one example of, okay, what comes natural? What does he like doing? What is he passionate about? And just hasn't been given the chance. Yeah. I, I could take that story over and over again. It's usually that people are trying to fit into some box or fit somebody into a box or fit themselves into behaviors that aren't natural. That's when they don't win. Right. So the book kind of spells out, um, here's how to look at things differently. (laughs) Yeah. So that you, you're not fighting it. You're not trying to go against the natural motion. Yeah. I think what's so cool about that story is often people just need to be given permission, right? To think big or to chase a passion or to do what they feel they care about. And, 
having the openness to use a word you used earlier as a business leader to go I I know that I there's certain things I need, but I can find different pieces to fit that. If I have something here that's working, that's flowing, and it doesn't feel like a job to that person, yep. you're probably going to get way more out of them than oh, anything yeah. else. The, the, I, I, my biggest challenge with employees is convincing them to take vacations, convincing them to stop working. Yeah. Right? And, and and that's that sounds a little bit and, and there's still the you know regular yeah. employee stuff but that is you know I recruited a guy away from Sam's Club uh, yeah and he's amazing yeah and I have to kind of force him like I have to buy tickets to stuff to get him he's my operations director for one of my companies and he like he loves what he's doing yeah and so rather than whip, whipping people to get them to work harder you know that if they want to work on something sure you can't stop them yeah right and there is some uh, you know guidelines or some structure that you have to put around it but it's it's there's there's not there's usually not a right answer to stuff hmm. there's good answers and then passion yeah and then passionate people quirky geniuses make it happen yeah so tell me, as a business leader, I can see how that applies. Obviously, going in, you know, finding that, and then empowering it, and trying to set them on their way. How does the flow concept compare or relate to an individual that's trying sure. to find that? Maybe not in an organization. Maybe they don't even know what is working. Like I don't know what's in motion, but I'd like to find it. Like, how does an individual apply that? Yeah. Uh, so, two stories or two examples to yeah. kind of answer that question. One of them from my own uh, personal life, and then one that uh, ABC News <laughs> did a little hmm. um, test a little while ago, years ago. Uh, so in my case, um, as an individual, I was going, in my undergrad, just using that as an example, um, I have a really hard time learning, like paying attention to anything. So yeah. especially once I got into a master's program, for example, I'm sitting around with students who are way more intelligent than I am, and they can memorize things and it was really intimidating sure right but um I, I i found a coping mechanism which is um i would sit there in the lectures and i'd be just scribbling notes furiously everybody's you know you know paying attention I, what i was watching was the professors where they were taking their content from where they're taking their lesson from was it out of the book is it from the like if they give quizzes if they give tests is it out of the book is it from some kind of a video is it i was paying attention to what they were focusing on because I knew I couldn't memorize, I couldn't pay attention. And so I would get to the end, I was always getting a solid F after the first like yeah. few weeks of every class. But I graduated with a 4.0, actually number one in my class. And I was the dumbest, <laughs> I shouldn't say dumb, <laughs> that's not true. But I really was not, I was in company with a lot of people who are far more intelligent. But what I was focusing on is what do I need to focus on hmm. for myself? Like the, every professor has tells. Yeah. They have places they love. So I was paying attention to that purely because I, I knew I could only like assimilate maybe 10% yeah. of the content. So if I tried to memorize it all and learn it all, I was going to fail. Yeah. And not just fail, but like big crater fireball fail. Yeah. Right. And so I, I that was the uh, kind of this, what happens naturally? Where do they take the, uh, where are they getting their information? And I was often, at, by the end, I was doing study groups because they, people started to figure out he knows what to study. <laughs> ah, that's so interesting. And what a great concept and how to connect with people as well, right? Like finding out what matters to them, what's important yeah. with them, and then connecting on those points. You know, you've said something to me before that I really love because there have been times as we have been in the, you know, the depths of a startup trying to get this <laughs> off where I've come to you feeling overwhelmed, like feeling sure. inadequate, feeling just like, oh my gosh, what, what are we going to be able to do this? And you looked at me, I remember one time in particular, and said, hey, when we feel overwhelmed, it's because we're trying to do too much. And I've had like three or four times with you now where that has all of a sudden been this light bulb moment of like, the reason I'm overwhelmed right now is because I have all these things that I'm trying to focus on, and it's impossible for me to focus on 15 things. No yep. one can do it. Yep. But what are those one or two things? And... It, I mean, I just, I think you are like, are the living, walking manifestation of focusing yeah. on those things. Yeah. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm huge on these acronyms and stuff, but that's <laughs> because I'll forget yeah. like all this stuff. And so one of the things that we've 
gone through. We get in that. First off, overwhelm, like awesome. That means you're trying something big. Sure. <laughs> right? I always say, yeah, I love it. I'm like, if you're feeling, if you're not feeling imposter syndrome, you're not thinking big enough, yeah. right? Like you've right. got to be in that uncomfortable space. <laughs> I love it because it, I mean, it's so true. Yeah. Like overwhelm is the signal that, okay, I, something really big, something cool mm-hmm. uh, is, is uh, I'm working on and that's fun. Right? Yeah. Uh, but it's still overwhelming. And so having a, a, a toolbox for that or having a, a pattern, and so, what, but at least for me, what I found, and this kind of plays off of the FLOW acronym, uh, which, again, is probably irritating. Like, when I, I give trainings to some of the managers and CEOs of our companies, and I, I often ask them, are you ready to barf on your shoes yet? Because you've heard this <laughs> stuff over and over. Yeah. It's just the ADHD in me. I, I have to. Have, so, when I find myself overwhelmed, the first thing that I do is I try to remember, F, okay, so fast forward right? Uh, and go a year down the road or some period. Mm-hmm. Let's say that whatever I'm trying to work on has worked. You, like everything worked exactly how we hoped. Yeah. Okay. So what does that look like? It's easier to kind of go somewhere and then describe it than it is to try to fight your way through all of the tasks, right? Mm-hmm. Like just, so, okay, start with that. Like, okay, what, what does it look like and how will we know we're there? Yeah. What right. does winning even mean? Right. Right. What like the first law of winning, but what That's is right. a win? That's right. What I found is, is a lot of people uh, who are really go-getters, that alone starts to get some clarity. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, yeah, they they remember the, the, the one thing that you have to, you know, that that radical, that unbridled, those are people who will generally take on too much and um, they want to do everything. They yeah. want to solve every problem. Yeah. And so the way to, to help or to lead is to provide clarity. And when I say leadership, by the way, I love a, there's a quote by Lao Tzu and I'm going to get it, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but go ahead. He basically says the leader is best when he is, uh, how does he work? The leader is best who nobody knows exists. Hmm. When the work is done, the people will say we did it ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so to me, leadership is somebody who's overwhelmed or myself, if I'm feeling overwhelmed, okay, fast forward. What do we, what does the wind look like? How will we know we're there? And then for me, the L is just a reminder, like little low risk leaps. Okay, so don't I don't have to do all of this all at once. Yeah. Right. Like, what's something? So a few years ago, my family and I went on a multi, like an almost six month RV trip around the country. Really. Right. It's bad. I mean, and I have teenagers. <laughs> right? Okay. So, you just took them all off. You went. Robin Williams is in the RV movie. That was you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah somewhat. But uh, where it all started is my wife came to me one day and was like, "Hey, wouldn't it be kind of cool to like go in an RV?" You know, like there was yeah. this. One of our neighbors had retired and decided to sell their house and buy an RV. And she was like, wouldn't well, it be kind of cool? And my, okay, it was so RV. You know, it, there were these little low-risk steps like, well, I wonder how much an RV would cost. So I went out and got onto KSL and started looking around. Hmm, this is, I wonder if this guy would take this much for it. Well, I wonder what a truck that could pull this kind of an RV would cost. And it would these little steps to where it got to a point where it would be dumb not to do it. Hmm. right? And so once you've done a little fast-forwarding and thought, Okay, you know, where do I want to go? And then little low-risk steps. And I love to use the, the, the fuzzy path forward. You, ne- you don't know. Mm-hmm. If you wait until you can see the prize, there's no prize. It's exactly like a rainbow. Like, yeah. Drive after one forever. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And then the O is become an observer. Like I believe in I remind myself, ask questions, try to watch, observe. Um, and a lot of times it's helpful to have a, an, 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 a coach. A mentor, an mm-hmm. outside observer, you know, like Michael Jordan had a coach, right? so that they because they can see the stuff that you don't. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I try to remind my, remind myself is the W is Whittle, like Da Vinci when he was asked, or at least the story goes when he was asked, "How did you create this marble into the statue mm-hmm. of David?" He says, "I didn't. I just got a slab of marble and chipped away all the stuff that's not David." <laughs> right. So I try to remember, like I try to think when I get overwhelmed or I see people overwhelmed, I try to kind of remember those. It's not necessarily a pattern, but just kind of four things. Like, yeah. Let's fast forward a little bit. What's a little low risk step that we could take? And um, it, if you have to, okay, who else has done something like this? Mm-hmm. Observe it. And then how can I get you to think less? Right. Like, and so that's the, that's what's coming out in the, the, the rumored book. The, the rumored <laughs> book that might just be happening. Uh, where can people potentially find this rumored book when it's there? Yeah. Um, just the, your website? Yeah, yeah. So just um, jasonp.com. Okay. Uh, I was really yeah I, I, creative, so I just used my name and last letter, Jason. There you go. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, I think that's, it's going to be interesting to see how people react to this book. Knowing, I mean, I've, I've heard you talk quite a bit about it now, and I've seen this in action and have been on the receiving end of that observation. And the, Poor guy. yeah, well, it's been fantastic. Like in all seriousness, I mean, I talked about it a few episodes ago, but um, the amount that we've done in just a few months with Opt so far, like I know I wouldn't have done that. Like I couldn't have figured out all those steps on my own, right? And all of a sudden you coming in and making it seem very doable, very accomplishable. But the whole reason we're excited about it is the first time we talked, it was that fuzzy path forward that suddenly like we knew, hey, there's something we can work towards here that's exciting. And I'll be real with you, like what we've done with Opt in the last little bit hasn't felt like a job. Yeah. It's been a project. Awesome. It's been fun. It's been, you know, there's passion there. And uh, of course, we got a long ride to go. We got a lot to figure out along the way. But uh, you better believe we'll keep implementing the flow methodology yeah. every step of the way, right? Yeah. And what you just said there is probably the greatest, like the biggest reward, the biggest uh, compliment, uh, in my opinion, anyways, that the, a leader could receive. Like that you don't feel like it's a job, right? Yeah. And, I look out at the founders of Google or Steve Jobs of Apple or whatever, lots of different personalities, but there was this, um, I do it because I would like to, I I choose to do it. It was a natural, um, so I love that you, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. That to me is a huge compliment. Well, we're going to have you back and talk about Opt. So like when sure. the product launches in that, we'll talk more Opt. Today, like I said, I really wanted to just have this be like getting inside your brain and all the events prior to this. Go check out Jason's book. Start to practice these things. Become a better listener. Observe. Find those little wins that you can have and little wins add up to yeah. big wins, yeah. right? Like yeah. just repeat that process. Anything you want to say in closing? Um not that I can think of per se. I, it, it, I, again, I'm appreciative yeah. uh, of the opportunity, and um, it's been a really fun ride. Like it's been cool to watch you, uh, and I've seen this uh, multiple times over. Watch you start to bring something to life, and uh, that's how it works. That's the, the entrepreneurs. I think we're moving. Okay, so I said no, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. Not that I'm ever guilty of that. <laughs> I only talk too much when I'm awake, um, but I think. Um, we're starting to move into where people generally are going to start to think that way, like little miniature on entrepreneurs, you know, the micro economy or what I, you know, the little revolution. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. So it's really cool to watch that passion come to life. There's a real, even more than being the one who's got the light shining on you, it's really rewarding to watch other people who you've kind of helped facilitate come to life and bring things to life. Yeah. And so my hat's off to you for what you've accomplished. It's cool. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing with everyone. And thanks for the role that you've played in my life in the short amount of time that you've been in it. And we're going to do a lot over the next little bit. So it's cool to be open with everyone else about like, there's no secrets to this. It's an abundance mentality and sharing what's happening and trying to help others achieve wins. Like that's a really good thing that makes me happy. And I think, uh, you know, just along the way, people get excited about people that want others to win as well. Cool. So thanks so much for doing it. I'm going to do something that you don't let me do in the office. You know, I can't sing in the office, but Jason's (laughs) in my studio today. My rules, clowns to the left me, jokers (laughs) to the right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening. Clowns to the left of me, Joe.